Hi, friends. We're back. So I was thinking about what to do next. A lot has changed in just a day, in the last few days. And I, I think the world will never be the same again. And I say that in a way that I hope is realistic for you, but also maybe after we get through all this, we can reflect uh, on how the world needed to change, although this is a horrible way for it to happen, absolutely horrible. But the economy is crashing in a way we have not seen since the Depression and maybe even worse. And society is completely different right now. And I want to welcome you back because you're taking your precious time to listen to these podcasts. And I know in some ways that has to do with our classes. So thank you for that. But if you're listening to this, if you're joining our virtual classroom and you're not a, an RWU student and you're just here to share in our community well, all I can say is welcome, neighbor. That's going to be sort of the theme today. So I was thinking about what to do next and when. <laughs> and there's a lot happening for all of us, including in, in my own life. Of course, all of us are going through this together. So if you hear me cough a little, do not be worried. I'm just trying to get these podcasts done and out there. We will get through this. We will get through this. So let me start here first. I think I was listening back to my podcast and I was like, this is really happening. And I got the go ahead just so you know, if anyone is curious, from my dean to make these public and to be an independent, academically free scholar type. We do have academic freedom. It's nice. It's uh, being threatened in our country, but we don't need to talk about that right now. It's really interesting perspective, right? You take a perspective when things change that is different than you might have had before. So I think the theme for this round of podcasting and our virtual philosophy classroom is going to be on um, love thy neighbor and love itself, a little moral philosophy on love. Let's do a little moral philosophy on love and love thy neighbor. And let's combine some of the intro students from the introduction of philosophy class with the ethics students, because I had a group project planned on your syllabus. And I don't think we're going to get to that in the same way that I had hoped. But that's okay. We'll just rework it, redesign our course, do what we have to do to keep going. And we're going to combine intro and ethics when we can. So that's, this podcast is for everyone, all the classes. But we will combine intro and ethics here and make this a sort of intro ethics lecture. So is it YOLO or is it FOLO? Low. We all know what YOLO is. If you don't, it's you only live once. And uh, generation millennials, I was going to say generation X, that's me. Uh, X Games, what's up? But millennials and newer generations are, you know, very much into the YOLO and uh, the FOMO and, you know, the low. But LOL could be, if you recall, laughing out loud as well as lots of love. So you pick. 
for today, I think I'm going with lots of love. So LOL. But FOLO was something I was trying to think about the other day. And I said, is it YOLO or is it FOLO? Really, folks. For me, FOLO is the fear that you think you only live once. The fear of only living once. And I think we are dealing with all of that right now in so many ways. So let me first uh, get started with giving you some references. I, I don't want this to be too long. I think these podcasts should be a half an hour or less kind of thing, unless the lecturing or the material we're working on needs something different. But since this is our virtual community, there will be other listeners, so I will try to be fairly brief. Uh, But I'm thinking about perspective today. I'm thinking about, obviously, all what everybody else is going through and, and health and love and love thy neighbor So here are your references before we get started. I'm going to make a couple of connections. You won't necessarily have these texts in front of you. You'll have one of them maybe in the ethics class. But these things can be fairly easily looked up. They can be found, excuse me, online. And that's where we're at, right? So here are your references. Our music track, right, most importantly here. Our music tract is Hack, is the name of the track that we open with by Jane Weaver in an album called Modern Cosmology, with a K. I like when people spell things wrong. Maybe that's a bad habit. Uh, I can't spell. That's part of my uh, auditory processing disorder thingy. I can't spell very well. I can't read or write very well either, so taking me a long time to get here, but here we are. So Hack, Jane Weaver, Modern Cosmology, and we're going to end with some Childish Gambino. You know why? Because in 2016, he came out with an album called Awaken My Love with an exclamation point. So we got a lot of overlap here, a lot of layers. There's your references. We'll be looking at a tiny bit of Confucius from your chapter 12 of the Analytics from your Uh, If you're ethics class, it's in your moral philosophy book, page 185, but I will read from it for you today because apparently that is um, working out here, this podcasting thing. Again, got the go-ahead from the dean, and so here we go. Uh, The other references will be Martin Luther King Jr. from his work Strength to Love, and I think I'm going to end with a new interview by the philosopher still living, Alain Badu, in Praise of Love, because it's a pretty incredible little book. So let's get started. It's just talking here with each other as best we can. Uh, If you are interested in what I'm going to try to do now that we have to redesign our courses and go online for the next few months, it looks like rest of the semester possibly, but let's just take it one, one week at a time, one day at a time. And if you need to, let's just breathe and take it one hour at a time. There is something on the APA blog, though. You can look up a lot of things. And the American Philosophical Association blog, where uh, I am a public philosopher there, peer-reviewed, and I publish various pieces. And it is a format that I prefer. I do have a peer-reviewed journal article, and will have more. And I do have an edited co-edited book on film and philosophy with Rutledge Press, and that is something I'm very proud of from this past year. But on the APA, excuse me, I got to watch that 
that um, the way that I record this. But in the APA, American Philosophical Association blog, there is a piece recently about structure building and how we learn and learning myths. And it might be helpful here. I was going to do a uh, faculty uh, oriented um, talk this week on the love of learning and if we're losing the love of learning or how we lose the love of learning and getting it back. Uh, thinking Plato here, love and truth and the love of truth, they go together. And But in this APA piece, they talk about the myths of learning. And it's a very quick read again, so you might want to look it up. It's by, I think, Renee Smith and Ed Perez. And it's on the myths of learning. So one of the things they talk about is structure building and teaching students how to structure build. So let me just tell you that I think I'm going to scaffold here a little bit today, meaning I'm going to construct a, a, a bit of a structure with you. It may feel like it's all over the place, but there is a theme, there is a thread. And that theme, obviously, today, as I said, is love and love thy neighbor in these hard times, especially. And perspective, taking perspective on the concept of love and difference and how we should embrace the differences of others and our differences between us while also realizing how much nature can equalize us. This is very much a, for me anyway, a a spinocist moment nature we are nature we're not in nature we are nature now for spinoza though that meant the laws of nature he was one of the first modern scientists of our time philosopher scientist types and that meant for us to realize that our mind thought ideas as a as its own attribute as it has its own laws of nature period and that extension or what he called ratios of motion and rest. So not just body and not just some sort of physical extension, but ratios of motion and rest. And they ran parallel with your ideas. And they also, that ratio also has its own kind of law of nature. And so we put those together and you can improve your power to exist, which meant improve your power to persevere. And Canadis as I've mentioned before, was his idea of your ability of our ability to respond, especially collectively as rational human beings. We have more power when we're collectively rational, right? That seems obvious, but it really can work and you can experiment on it and with it and and in great ways. But we can collectively come together and persevere and figure out various ways to respond that, that are rational and imaginatively wonderful and uh, increase our energy, increase our actions, our choices of actions and types of actions and ways of responding to our environment. Because nature is bigger than us. We are nature, but we're only an expression of nature. Um, and... We can't express all of nature, right? As a law of nature, we're expressing those laws and that law, but nature is showing us right now how powerful it is on its own. It's bigger than us. It can take us out in an instant, and we are equalized by it. I mean, what does the economy mean right now, right? Ask questions like that. Ask good questions. What does the economy mean when 
we're buying up everything we need, right? So industries like the food market would be skyrocketing, and thank God they're there. And quite frankly, thank God everyone, and I don't mean necessarily any particular kind of God, it's just a turn of phrase, but thank goodness that there are folks out there, you know, driving the trucks, bringing the food to the stores we need. We're very lucky if we have that kind of situation and if it's capable of continuing. So please do listen to your political leaders here, uh, your local leaders and your family about what to do, because we are all now kind of staying home globally. And I hope more people hear that call to temporarily socially distance so we can get this COVID thing under control. But it is an animal, right? This COVID virus, a virus is a little tiny animal of sorts. And it it has equalized us. It is showing us that it doesn't matter what race you are. Race is a social construct anyway, right? But a very real one that affects people's lives in every way. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're um, what what class you're a part of low, middle, upper. Um, In some ways, that does matter, of course, when it comes to details of what we're going through right now. But I think you get my point, I hope, if you're paying, you know, focusing on what is what we're talking about here. We really are feeling nature's power to equalize us all. We are all equal right now in many ways. But I will say there is there is some moment of pause here that where we have reverence for for the medical professionals that are helping us save basically the global population of human beings right now. So our medical professionals are absolute heroes in the good sense of the term of hero. You know, I don't know if you know this. I've been talking about this lately with other people, but surgeons take this superhero pose, right? I don't know. You can look it up, right? It's where... They're getting ready to go into surgery, and it's maybe like brain surgery, you know, it's no joke, and heart surgery and things like that. And they, they before they, uh, many surgeons, before they step into the operating room, or if not many, some that I've heard of, and it should be many, if not all, but they, they literally physically take on the superhero pose, right? They stand there, their hands on their hips, looking up a little bit, you know, feeling confident. And it apparently affects your psychology and you make less mistakes. So there's something to that. So maybe we'll get into superhero virtual pose here. And that's all I'm talking about. Um, as we talk about this, this is this is the heroes of our medical profession right now. They really are superheroes. So moving on from that, I was talking a, a minute ago about a couple minutes ago about structure building and that APA article. What structure building is is it's the ability for uh, for us to teach each other in a community, whether it's a professor or you're just a couple of you students are hanging out trying to study together virtually, or you're with your family if you are staying home and you should be staying home but seeing patterns this kind of structure building is teaching others how to see patterns uh, recognizing uh, operating principles at work uh, generating certain kinds of rules that are needed but 
not necessarily too many. This is a flexible concept. So we're going to do that here in this podcast. And I just wanted to explain what it is. It it improves learning. So try to figure out, if you can, my intro and ethics students, but also the other students from the other classes, modern. You heard Spinoza already. Um, He'll come up again, I'm sure. And core, senior sem, especially core senior sem also, because we've been doing nothing but learning about seeing patterns in, in that course. Maybe you can, you know, figure out what are the themes here and patterns. I'm going to try to, I am a misfit metaphysician after all. You should look up that TED talk. Oh my goodness. About misfits. Oh, you would love Lydia. You got to look up the TED talk by Lydia. Uh, I cannot pronounce her last name. I apologize. Another part of my uh, APD is pronunciation especially when I'm speaking. So I have to work on that. But I'm going to weave a misfit metaphysician Celtic knot pattern here of power and protection and go from there. Talk about perspective and love thy neighbor. So get woke, stay woke, hashtag woke here. What, what if not, if, if not love, then what else? If not love, if I'm, if I'm going to die and I'm not, don't worry. But I mean, we all are right. But now it's a little more pressing at the moment. But you know, when you think about, I'm a critical philosopher of race, right? So when you think about when is death pressing, you could just read anything by George Yancey on this. Uh, But death is always pressing us. Existentialists know this, you know, uh, people of color experience this all the time. Death is always on the doorstep. And I say people of color, meaning in a racist society. And fascism is on the rise again in the world globally. And white supremacy is on the rise globally. It is, it is terrifying in, in many respects. And we have to wrap our rational brain around what is going on, what, what is the pattern, and how what we're going through right now is teaching what is it teaching us about those patterns and the, and how they're changing very rapidly as well because we're kind of being equalized being forced by covid-19 to to be to recognize how how we're all the same we're all fragile human beings but love if if not moral philosophy about love i mean how do you want to go out i personally want to go out on a note of love and i haven't always been the best at sh- at doing that outwardly uh necessarily in my life but i have i'm a very sensitive soul and i have always felt it i have had to figure out how to respond based on the situation and you probably know what i mean many of you know what i mean and i have failed repeatedly and terribly at responding i i react instead of respond and there's a difference And Spinoza and studying Spinoza and studying race theory has taught me about those differences. I watch my mentors react. I watch my mentors respond. I watch them respond to each other. I watch them react to what's happening in our society. And I want to learn from that. And I want to pass that along while we can. So in that regard, I'm just going, you're going to hear some papers moving around here. I'm going to flip some papers, flip some books. But I'm going to just start quickly here for a minute with the Confucius 
and chapter 12 for the ethics folks. And again, this will apply to the meaning of life stuff coming up with the intro folks. But just a few, I know also there's a few of you where we overlap philosophy students. So I know you're studying some Confucius in Eastern philosophy with Professor Blackburn. So this will be a nice overlap for that class as well. And you're talking about the gentleman and, and the practice of the gentleman and gentle lady and, and gentle everybody. And, ha, you know, my pronouns are she, her, hers. But there are many individuals where their choice is to go by they. And so I'm sp- trying to speak responsibly here and say gentleman, meaning this is Confucius. So this is around 500 BC, right? But meaning... Um, the human being. So if I say gentleman, I mean the human being. So say gentlewoman as well, right? I always joke with you guys. I say, uh, whoa, man. That's my, that's my interpretation of the word woman This whoa, man. Whoa, just whoa, you know, hold up, hold on there for a minute. And we're going to do this together. Confucius says the practice of humanity comes from the self and not from anyone else. So if we're talking about love and humanity right now in this COVID crisis, maybe we should be talking about how humanity comes from both the self and the community. And he mentions endeavor next, which is really interesting, right? But what does he mean by that? What are, what are those? And, and what are the patterns here in this podcast, right? What's going on here? Um, one of the things he says, and I believe it's segment 12.5. He says, uh, I have heard this. Life and death are decreed by fate. Oh, apropos. Life and death are decreed by fate. Riches and honors are allotted by heaven. Since, and I, we can talk about that. It's debatable. But <laughs> since a, a gentle human behaves with reverence and diligence, treating people with deference and courtesy, all within the four seas are his brothers. And her brothers and sisters. How could a gentleman, gentle human, ever complain that he has no brothers? This is a beautiful message that I think from thousands of years ago that I think we should hold on to today. Remind ourselves of these things today. He says next in 12.7, food, after all, everyone has to die eventually. We need food, but everyone has to die eventually. But without the trust of the people, no government can stand. And in this respect, I do believe Confucius meant the trust of the people by the government. The government needs to trust its people, and the people need to trust it. But if you don't trust each other, then you can't, you know, trust the people, quote-unquote, and therefore, we're back to love thy neighbor. I mean, it's pretty clear how this works, but do some thinking and think about what's being said here without me having to say it all for you right now. You know, What is the use of culture, he goes on to say. And it's all connected in the same sort of passages. They're very close together here. He goes on to say in 12.13 segment... I could adjudicate lawsuits as well as anyone, but I would prefer to make lawsuits unnecessary. A gentle human brings out the good that is in people. He does not, she, he, they, we, 
does not bring out the bad. A vulgar man does the opposite. Let me say that one again, right? Because I've had to learn how to do that because I was reacting a lot in the past. A gentle human brings out the good that is in people. He does not bring out the bad. A vulgar man does the opposite. This is some food for thought here. Ha ha. <laughs> the, this, this is recognition. This is 12.20. This is recognition, not perception. And we were just talking about pattern building and recognizing patterns. Confucius says this is recognition. This is not perception. And, and there's a difference there. To attain perception, though, a man must be cut from straight timber and love justice. Examine men's words and observe their expressions and bear in mind the necessity of deferring to others. This actually act, comes up as well in, I believe it's chapter three of Spinoza's unfinished political treatise, where he is trying to talk about having three branches of government, legislative, judicial, executive, and this is in the 1600s in Holland, folks. And he didn't get a lot of credit for that because he technically didn't te- technically didn't finish the work. He died very young at my age right now, 44. It's kind of interesting to think about being 44 for me right now. But um, deference, the rational ability to defer to others. Sometimes, even though we're all using reason, and hopefully we can all use reason, right? Regularly, you want that more and more and more. But we're not going to be able to meet the demands of everyone's preferences. There's just too many differences. And the difference part is good. That's the point. The differences are good. And we're not going to be able to meet those demands uh, of every preference of everybody who wants to do things their own way. Think of what's happening right now. Do you, do you want to be home all, for, for the next few weeks? Maybe not, but you need to be, that kind of thing. We need to defer to other preferences sometimes because there are circumstances that need to be taken into consideration. And if we're using reason well, that does not mean that we need to have our preference all the time, our preference in religion, our preference in, in, in who, who said it the best, right? I always find it interesting, people who have their favorite philosophers. And yes, I do now have a couple favorite philosophers, but actually my entire career and life of philosophy in my mind has always been I really do like them all. I like all the philosophy texts that I'm aware of, and there's something good. Leibniz knew this. There was something good to be drawn from each and every one of these texts and ideas. So I don't necessarily have a favorite that I always have, that I think is right, that got it right, that got reality right. Uh, but we can talk more about that later. That's more for the modern folks, if you're listening and core senior sem, uh, because you're upper level. And we can talk about how to draw out the patterns here in other ways, in different ways. But for now, go back to that Confucius moment here that to attain perception, a human must be cut from straight timber and love justice. And that we need to defer, right? Examine men's words and observe their expressions and bear in mind the necessity 
of deferring to others. Now, that does not mean those in power. You know, ethics folks, you were there. (laughs) Remember the class not that long ago where we were talking about, we were doing a little Nietzsche and we were talking about authority and power and the master-slave dialectic, even though those are problematic words for Nietzsche and for Hegel, by the way, from a race theory perspective sometimes, right? But we were talking about those hierarchies of power. Who's in charge? Who, who says what, is you, what you need to do and, and what is the right idea? And who, I mean, what is that? And who does it come from? It's very easy to abuse power and to abuse authority, you know, if if we were in the classroom in the ethics class and i i wanted to demonstrate this to you instantaneously right with a quick example just get it go right to the heart of the matter i use extreme examples sometimes because it gets you to that point where you're thinking about the connections and then we'll we kind of tone down the extreme examples uh, that's a tactic or technique strategy I like to use. And we were in ethics and we were doing Nietzsche and I said, watch how this works. And I asked one of the students, I, I said, uh, can you just come with me for a second? And that student got up and came with me without even a pause or hesitation. Why? And I, I said, let's, go, let's just go out here, out the classroom. Just come with me, come with me. And within two seconds, there we were out the classroom and I shut the door and this student was wonderful, and he agreed to this, uh, ex, you know, this little example we were doing. And you all started giggling really immediately because you knew, you knew it hit you rationally. It hit you. Look how easy it was for me as the per, quote unquote professor in the classroom, right? I don't believe in hierarchies like that. So that's why you call me Dr. Chris, and that's your, that's your compromise. I go by Chris. You know, I very rarely use Dr. Rawls, and you know this, but you guys like Dr. Chris, and I get that. See, that's an interesting pattern and thought to think about. That's an interesting phenomenon to think about right there. But we were all giggling, and then student came back in the classroom because it, t- it took me one second, took me two seconds to get that student to do what I wanted just by saying, hey, come with me. Right. This is this is Foucault. Is this in Foucault as well? For those of you who know a little Foucault, right? And and responding to the call of authority. Who is the authority here? We're all being equalized. Many people we I hope I'm wrong, but many people we know and love could very well die soon from this COVID thing. And many people who are in other parts of the world, if you happen to be listening to this, you know were with you they have lo- they have lost their loved ones seattle right now they have lost their loved ones suddenly unexpectedly gone so we really do need to think about uh, and not gone forever in my humble estimation by the way but that's a talk for another day soul talk for another day we could do a little soul talk maybe in a different way in my misfit metaphysician way uh, in another podcast but we got to take this stuff seriously and it equalizes us and we got to sometimes defer to others who have like our medical professionals, but not necessarily just any old authority figure or any authority figure, right? You got to think through who's telling you what and why. So love justice 
and love of justice and deferring. This is a beautiful Confucius segment here, fragment. Then we get to Martin Luther King. I'm going to jump to Martin Luther King out. Kind of awesome right now. In his work, The Strength to Love, MLK Jr., Dr. Reverend, the Reverend Doctor. I have a friend who's a Reverend Doctor. <laughs> He's down in NOLA right now, New Orleans. Uh, so I shout out to my DJ, Muddy, the Reverend Doctor down there in NOLA. I miss you too, buddy. But here we are, the Reverend Doctor MLK Jr., and he's talking in this section. A couple of I'm going to jump around a few pages, so forgive me. But you connect the pattern, you connect the dots, and he's talking about love thy neighbor. And he says, "Who is my neighbor? I do not know his name or her name. He is anyone toward whom you are neighborly." And this is him quoting uh, Jesus, Jesus. This is him quoting, uh, he was a Christian, so this is MLK Jr. quoting the teachings, if you're interested in the reference to Jesus' teachings. And um, it doesn't matter what I believe. I am not religious, but I am very spiritual. But it doesn't matter what I believe here. This is MLK Jr. He is anyone who lies in need of life's roadside. Gotta love the roadside references. He is neither Jew nor Gentile. He is neither Russian nor American. He is neither Negro nor white. He is a certain man. And MLK Jr. here means human. Any needy man, any needy human, on one of the numerous Jericho roads of life. This is a quote by Jesus. So Jesus defines a neighbor, MLK Jr. says, not in a theological definition. So if my core... Folks, Beyond Belief, if you're listening, the core course Beyond Belief students, it is not a theological definition, but it is a life situation. Love thy neighbor means we need to pay attention to our neighbors and our needy neighbors. And needy here means all of us in a certain particular life situation. He goes on to say, the Samaritan had the capacity for a universal altruism. So ethics, folks, you listening? Universal altruism, you can look that up in the definitions in your small book or online, quite frankly, at this point. He had a piercing insight into that, which is beyond the eternal accidents of race, religion, and nationality. One of the great tragedies of man's long trek along the highway of history has been the limiting of neighborly concern to tribe, race, class, or nation. And we limit ourselves when we become overly or dangerously tribal, racist, classist, sexist, right? Or nationalist, right? Patriotism and nationalism are very different, right? Nationalism has a whole history behind it of white supremacy so you have to be very careful there patriotism is something good and it's and it's different than nationalism and so i think mlk jr is incredibly in, insightful there and of course he is he always has been right he he's a bit of a prophet we must honestly he says recognize that truth is not to be found either in traditional capitalism nor in marxism each represents a partial truth 
Historically, capitalism failed to discern the truth in collective enterprise. And we're experiencing right, that right now a little bit in my humble estimation, the little I know in the crashing of our stock market. Um, and in people hoarding all, and buying all kinds of things that maybe then are taking away from others and the resources that others may need. Um, right? Give those masks to your medical professionals if you don't need them, if you're healthy, that kind of thing. Don't hoard those masks. Um, Nietzsche, he says, oh, sorry, my apologies. This is funny. Historically, capitalism failed to discern the truth in collective enterprise, and Marxism failed to see the truth in individual enterprise. Hashtag woke. 19th century capitalism, MLK Jr. says, and he didn't say hashtag woke. You know, I'm going to put that in there as a flag. I got to do some sound effects. It's going to get fun. 19th century capitalism failed to appreciate that life is social. And Marxism failed and still fails to appreciate that, to see that life is individual as well as social. And I don't know if he's right or wrong there. I think there's a lot to be said about some ideas in socialism and Marxism that are pretty profound, actually. And we're going to see that in our election year yet again in the debates between candidates like Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And I think they're worth really, really closely paying attention to. The kingdom of God, MLK Jr. says, is neither the thesis of individual enterprise nor the antithesis of collective enterprise but a synthesis that reconciles the truth of both. I wonder if he was making a reference there to Hegel or not, to the philosopher Hegel, but I'm just going to leave it as his. Those are his. Those are his words, man. Woman, child, right? <laughs> Everybody. And then I think the last thing here on Love Thy Neighbor, just very quickly, um, I can find it. I should have uh, made my page references a little quicker for you all, but there's there's a re there's a lot here in the. Uh, I'm reading it again right now. Strength to love. Um, there's a lot, and I think it's worth picking up if you can get it, it online, or if you could audiobook it. Audible's coming in handy right now, and you get a, f a month free, folks. Don't forget, you can sign up for a free month of Hulu, a free month of Netflix, a free month, I think, a free month of Audible. And if you can't afford to pay for those things after that month, then just remember to delete your account. But I think it, it's pretty, excuse me, incredible that they are that, that that those exist, and you might need them right now. So, if you if it helps you to study, if it helps your work, then do that free month of whatever and, and then delete your account. That's why it's there. They want you to use it, but they also want you to experience it. And it, it could help in these times that we're all online and everything's going online and we're at home. So audiobook it. Man, there's a cu couple great audiobooks that I'll be talking about soon. I, I respond better at, to audiobooks, but I wasn't allowed to do that as much in grad school, so that became a challenge. I now can carve my own path and when I need to I'm going to audiobook it so keep learning in whatever format is best for you just keep learning so the truth of love in Badu so Alain Badu is this wonderful uh, French philosopher still living today pretty prolific 
and we're, we read his texts as major, major philosophical texts. We study them uh, on the Ph.D. level, and you can study them at any level, but he's a serious philosopher today. And he just came out, they just published an interview, and I got it from a friend, a close friend, M, shout out to M, and I don't even want to use that phrase anymore, shout out. I like shout out, but not shout out. Can you think about why? Shout out to M. Thank you for the gift in praise of love. Uh, send it to SK, too. But the truth of love here. You were reminding us earlier that Plato, this is the, the, the interviewer. You were reminding us earlier that Plato had already identified the particular link that exists between love and truth. And love thy neighbor, by the way, right? But in what way do you think that love is a truth procedure? So really quickly, because this is now going on a 40-minute podcast, and I want to wrap it up for you. But I believe that love is indeed what I call, in my own philosophical jargon, he says, Badu says, a truth procedure. That is an experience. So think phenomenology here. My core, my senior, uh, seniors working on their um, philosophy theses. Think phenomenology here, uh, or my modern folks, and think about uh, the word experience. But that is an experience whereby a certain kind of truth is constructed. This truth is quite simply the truth about two, two people, two individuals, two neighbors, we might say, two friends. To love us. (laughs) The truth that derives from difference as such. And I think that love, what I call the two scene, who's on scene, who's on set, is this kind of experience, Badu says. In this sense, all love that accepts the challenge commits to enduring. I would say persevering, Canonis, right? Commits to enduring and embraces this experience of the world in love. When we're in love, it embraces this experience of the world from the perspective of difference. Produces in its own way a new kind of truth about difference. That is why love is, that is real is always of interest to the whole of humanity. So pull through, right back to Confucius, right? That is why love, Badu says, that's it, when it's real, is always in the interest of the whole of humanity. However humble, however hidden, that love might seem on the surface. <laughs> Love's scary. We're just talking like romantic love and stuff like that. You know, all different kinds of love. It can be scary. Intimacy is a very interesting philosophical concept. So however humble, however hidden, however distant that love may seem on the surface. We know how people get carried away by love stories, he says next, exclamation point. Ooh, yeah, we do, and I am the worst at this. I, I, mean, I would say I like it. I like getting carried away once in a while by a good love story. Don't you? A philosopher must ask why that happens. Why are there so many films, novels, and songs that are entirely given over to love stories? Although we may need them right now, so please do put them on your your films, your Netflix, whatever. There must be something universal about love. For these stories to interest such an enormous audience, what is universal is that all love suggests a new experience of truth about what it is to be two and not one. 
that we can encounter and experience the world other than through a solitary consciousness. Any love whatsoever gives us new evidence of this, and that is why we like to love. As St. Augustine says, another philosopher, we like to love, another existentialist philosopher, by the way, right? we like to love, but we also like others to love us, quite simply because we love truth. We love truths. That is what gives philosophy its meaning. People like truth. They like truths, even when they don't know that they like them. It seems, and they go on to talk. It, it goes, they go on to talk about this and have this interview. So it's it's a beautiful little book if you can get your hands on it. And I think it's a perfect place to end.